Welcome to the Toxic People Detox, a practical guide for finding peace in the midst of toxic people. It's not about changing them, it's about changing how you respond to them and doing so in a productive, healthy way. My name is Dr. Shayla D. Williams, and today I have a guest. Very interesting background. His name is Dr. Don Dalrymple. He is a licensed psychologist, author, and filmmaker with a special interest in higher, seldom understood powers of the mind. He has written four books using his research to motivate individuals to greater greatness by utilizing the power within themselves. All four books are bestsellers. They are The Inner Manager, Eight Days to Creative Power, I Love You, God, and Quantum Field Psychology. He has produced a best-selling film about the discovery of Quantum Field Psychology, Paradise Found 2015, and recently released a new film, The Endless Question. He worked for Nassau when he was 19 years old, but he speaks in a way that is understandable, inspiring, and motivational. So welcome to the show, Dr. Ron. Dr. Shale, thank you very much. My great pleasure to be here. My whole journey started back when I was 17 years old in July of 1967, so that makes me ancient, I guess, but I was entered to the University of Maryland in College Park, Maryland to study math and physics. I had to find a job, so I was very lucky to find a position at NASA at Goddard Space Flight Center, just seven miles from the university. So I did math and physics the first couple of years and taking a lot of classes. And towards the end of the second year and the third year, I started taking more psychology classes. And I was really noticing interesting parallels between math and physics and the various theories of psychology. So one night coming back to my dorm from NASA, it was a very cold, dark November night in 1969. And I asked the, the fateful question, could you explain the various theories of psychology using math and physics? And I was hit like a, by a thunderbolt. A tsunami of ideas came to my mind. I saw the mind as energy projecting through space. And if we looked at the mind as energy axiomatically or as a proposition, we'd use that to explain all these different theories and many other types of phenomena. So I told some folks I knew about this, including some NASA scientists. I told one person at NASA, a really great guy by the name of Dr. Isidore Adler, who was a physicist from New York City. He, in fact, was a father of a friend of mine by the name of Sam Adler, who became a psychiatrist up in Baltimore. Okay, so I asked Dr. Adler about this idea. I said, well, what would you think about if we thought of the mind as an energy field? And he said, well, you know what? You should go research that. And he spun on his heel and, and you know, went down the hall. And so for the last 51 years, I have. I really changed the course of my life. I was going to stay at NASA and whatnot. He said, I finished college and I traveled the world for a number of years. I to study different cultures and languages and people and theories and philosophies. So I went to Europe and Asia, many fascinating places. Then I realized I have to go back to, to graduate school to study psychology more intensively. So I went back to Maryland from 1980 to and got a doctorate in psychology there and then wanted to apply it for many years. So I worked as a therapist. I saw some over the years, some 22,000 patients to find out what really works in therapy and what does not. And always looking for these general principles, how to explain these other phenomena. Then I said, well, I need to go back to teaching again. So I went back and taught for Maryland for a number of years overseas. I was in Japan, Korea, Europe. I was in Italy, Sicily, Germany, really fascinating places. And I put together the final theory called quantum field psychology in 2004. And that went over like a lead balloon because it's so complicated with math and physics that engineers like it and physicists, mathematicians, and some medical doctors. But most psychologists kind of find it uh, too complicated. So I realized we must make this a lot more simple. So then I went to film school to learn how to make films. We made the first film, as you mentioned, Paradise Found 2015, which is an experimental short 
about the discovery of quantum field psychology. And then we made a much longer documentary, two hours just released, called The Endless Question, which is a series of interviews of people in the field to see what their thoughts were about this. We also include various uh, quotes from Nikolai Tesla, made really, really some fascinating comments. He said famously years ago that once we start to investigate the energy aspects of the mind, we'll make more progress in 10 years than we've made in all prior history, which is really a fascinating statement made in 1899. In any case, the film is a composite of these ideas. Now, going back historically, my first book out of grad school was called Eight Days of Creative Power, which is based on three different approaches to creative thinking, how to tap your subconscious mind, as you mentioned, how to activate the subconscious to help you solve problems, help you create better relationships, how to think more creatively. The next book was in 1989 called The Inner Manager, which is an earlier form of what became later known as quantum field psychology. It's told in the form of a parable. A young man goes on a journey. He meets this brilliant lady who runs a business, and she takes all these different levels, symbolic of levels of the mind, learn how different functions work, the memory, concentration, creativity, imagination, and so forth. So he comes out of that institution prepared to go out and conquer the world. The next book was about I Love You, God, which is a book of aphorisms about how to make various statements about you know God inside us, uh, God in the universe, God inside other people, to help activate that awareness within us. Then, of course, the next book was Quantum Field Psychology. Then we made the films and so forth. So where we are now is trying to bring all this to the world. So we're talking to folks like yourself and others interested in this field, help share these ideas to try and promulgate these concepts to the world because the world, as you know, is in great chaos. And one of my original concepts was to create something which integrated all the prior theories of psychology together. Because one of my first experiences working in psychiatry was that I saw that many of the doctors really didn't seem to know what they were doing, frankly. And the things they'd say about the patients were just horrific. There were really no guiding principles. That's why I got into this field to try to find some some better answers, hopefully. So that's what we're, we've been all about now for over a half a century. Uh, okay, so lo- let's yeah. take a step back. Sure. You said that what when you were in therapy, things weren't working. So what exactly wasn't working, and are those still and are those uh, principles still being taught today? Oh no, what I was th- th- my first experiences working in psychiatry were let's see when I was a junior in college, I volunteered at St. Elizabeth Hospital. I mm-hmm. saw there that the psychiatrists really seemed to be fumbling around, had no clue what they were doing with the patients. That was part of the inspiration to switch fields from math and physics to go into psychology to find better answers. After I got out of graduate school, I saw some 22,000 patients to find out what really worked in therapy, you know, what principles worked, what didn't. So it gave me a real sense of all the different fields of psychology, personality theories, and so forth. That's where I also got into, you talking about the subconscious mind and toxic people. I'm sure, I'm sure you know about personality disorders. I really prefer Milan's theory. There's 11 different personality disorders which can drive a person's behavior often on a subconscious level. And these are very strongly fixated thoughts and emotions locked into the subconscious. One example is a paranoid personality disorder where a paranoid person thinks everybody else is plotting against them. And so they tend to project what's inside of them onto other people. Mm-hmm. And what we found is that much of perception is projection. People often project on other people what's inside of them. Oh, yeah. And so that, they're hard to work with. Paranoids are very hard to work with. But we also have, I see other programs on the narcissistic personality. These types are also difficult to work with because they tend to think they're always right. and They know better than, than we do. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it really is a challenge. So 
you know, when you deal with these people in your relationships or in business and whatnot, it's important to stay relaxed. And one thing is don't take things personally. If someone is attacking you or projecting their stuff onto you, it's important to realize, you know, don't react to it personally, but instead realize it comes from them. It's their projection. Those delusions or false beliefs exist inside of them. And if we take it personally, then they're really controlling our behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen situations in workplaces where some one person knows a second person has a propensity to anger. And so the first person will push their buttons in front of the bosses at times to get them to react to get them fired because they've got a friend who wants their job, this mm-hmm. type of thing. So really, really toxic manipulations go on. In fact, uh, I don't know about your graduate school. But my graduate school was really, uh, oof, you talk about backstabbing that went on. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just described just about every program out there. Probably so. You know, I know law school. I heard about some law students who would uh, go to libraries back in the old days before it was virtual to go to the law school library and rip out the sheets of law books on certain cases they're studying so nobody else could get to it. So out of 300 students in a class, the first one there could solve the problem of the case and the others could not. Pretty ruthless stuff, you know. But, yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm sure you've seen that in your life, well, the mind games and whatnot and so forth. I think you just pretty much summed up every episode I've ever published. <laughs> yeah, it really is a really is kind of a fascinating thing. I was kind of intrigued by the mind games and whatnot, the games people play to manipulate and control others. And I have some other books in production about that right now because it really is prevalent in our world. And a lot of these folks, as we talked before, are not aware of the fact that they are so are driven by these unconscious motivations. I mean, they part of it's conscious in many cases, part of it's not conscious. Well, some folks is totally unconscious, but others know exactly what they're doing. Oh, yeah. And they're the most dangerous because mm-hmm. they know exactly what they're doing to set you up, to play you, to manipulate you. If you look at the worlds of real estate or car sales, you know, classically, a lot of these characters know how to read you first off, then manipulate you to make the sale they want to make. You know, in, in the world of propaganda, you know, in other words, news media and so forth, they know how to pitch various ideas to manipulate the, the public and so forth. You know, yeah, play on your emotions. Exactly. To play upon your emotions. Then once you're emotionally distraught, you're much easier to manipulate. Mm-hmm. So a lot of systems try to inculcate fear in the public because a fearful public is much easier to control and mislead. You know, so part of what we teach folks is work on relaxation. Again, not taking things personally, but also work on trying to center back into yourself and center of calm and relaxation where you also realize we're all connected to a higher power. So it ties into a spiritual aspect. Quantum field psychology is actually a bridge theory between science and spirit, where we show it makes sense scientifically that the mind is an energy field, that we're also spiritual beings. So we're trying to create that bridge. You know, guys like Deepak Chopra and these, these folks say they're looking for a bridge theory. I met with him a couple of times, said, well, we have a bridge theory. And he wasn't really open to the idea because it kind of shocks him for one thing. They like the idea to say, hey, we're working on a bridge theory. Well, we've got one. Well, that's okay. We're working on one. <laughs> You know, so good, and the egos get into it. No offense to him, but it's just human nature. Egos get into it and, and so forth. But it is a bridge theory that connects the two up. And if we focus upon that, that spiritual domain every day, it helps keep us centered. So we're not pulled off by the manipulations and games of other people. So I'm sure you've okay. seen this. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you've said this a couple of times, you know, like being centered and not yes. taking things personally. Right. And, and that's something I've talked about since day one. It's something I learned the hard way. Yeah. But Mm-hmm. If you have someone that's like gets triggered, I mean, it, the culture we live in, you say one thing and my God, do they take it the wrong way and yes. people get fired. It destroys careers. Right. But let's talk about some techniques. How do people 
who say, let's find themselves in a toxic work environment, mm-hmm. get centered if they feel attacked, like someone's trying to push their buttons. Right. If you're in a workplace where you're surrounded by you know, negative people or have just one negative person plotting against you, the first thing you do is, number one, again, relax, stay calm, realize where it's coming from. Then you probably want to start building allies. You probably want to talk to your supervisor and let them know this person is attacking you. And hopefully it's not a supervisor, but you want to get their support and their help and also perhaps talk to other people without, we don't want to get into gossiping ourselves or name calling, that sort of thing. That makes it even more toxic. We want to build support and probably you're going to want to talk to the person if that's possible. Now, some folks you can't talk to. I mentioned a paranoid before. A paranoid person is so extremely defensive that anything you say, they're going to take as an attack against them. In fact, they're often watching you. I've known paranoids who will watch you intensely looking for the slightest movement or flicker because they interpret everything you do as an attack on them. They're convinced you're trying to get them at all times when, of course, you're not at all. So they're very hard to, to deal with. But let's say the person is approachable, then it's often helpful to talk to this individual and use what uh, can be called the, the, the gentle art of verbal self-defense. You know, lady wrote a book about that many years ago. Deborah, is it uh, blank in her last name? Really, really great book. She did a tremendous job, lady psychologist, and talks about how to talk to people and connect with them, but also try to show them in, in a gentle way. It's kind of like martial arts, but in a much more gentle way and verbally, of course. And what they're doing is, you know, inimical. We need to work out a better, more positive relationship. You're not their enemy. You're going to work with them in a harmonious way. And that might work or it might not work. But at least, you know, you're trying. And then you also want to document that. You probably need to document everything you do in a workplace like that and keep the documentation at home so somebody else cannot get a hold of it and destroy it or use that against you. But then also, again, share it with your supervisor. Try to build allies in this place of work. And try to work it out and resolve in a positive way if you can. However, in some cases, it's not resolvable because they're absolutely bent on getting you out of there. You know, they decide you're the enemy. They're going to remove you no matter what it takes. So if you're in a place that's that toxic, it might be beneficial to decide, you know what? I'm not going to work here anymore. I'm going to go do something else because it's not worth tearing my, my heart out, tearing my soul out for this job. You know, you just described my graduate career. That's exactly how I felt. When I was working on my dissertation, I was a government scientist. Uh-huh. And one of my professors just called me out of the blue. Mm-hmm. And after um, we had th- this uh, call, and he said, Shayla, I don't like that environment you're in. It's toxic. Mm-hmm. And I, it took me a while to see what he saw. Yeah. But like you said, I felt like I lost so much of myself. It, it wasn't worth it. Right. I separated from the federal government, which was, a, a quote-unquote cushy job. Yeah, I understand. I know. That, that's the way it is. He was exactly right, and I'm sure you were right, because mm-hmm. it's not, not worth the psychological, emotional, and spiritual damage it might cause you to stay in a place like that. If you have people so toxic trying to destroy you, and what's interesting is that a lot of these folks are personality disorders, I mentioned before, who bring to work their dysfunctionality from childhood into the workplace. Oh, yeah. And then they want to act out their childhood dramas and dilemmas and whatever with somebody else. And they find you for whatever reason. Maybe you think you're an easy target. Maybe you're too nice. Maybe it makes them angry. You're too nice. And they want to like, they think you're easy to attack. Or maybe you say or do something which pushes their button, which you didn't mean at all, as you mentioned before. That's easy to do. And then they're gunning for you. Know, gunning for you. So they're acting out their earlier childhood stuff. Now, a lot of these folks were probably abused themselves or perhaps neglected. I've been seeing folks for years, and like I said, I've seen about like 22,000 patients by now, roughly, and 
most of these folks were either abused or neglected or both you know, in childhood. There's infinite variations of how that might have happened, producing the different personality disorders or perhaps other disorders. And many folks spend their, their whole adult lives trying to get over the toxicity of childhood, you know. So that, that's really been our, part of our endeavor is try to find ways to help folks with that. There's been all kinds of therapeutic approaches developed over the years, like brief brief psychotherapy and whatnot. I specialize also in PTSD, post-traumatic stress, because, you know, a lot of folks went through PTSD in childhood. And I also worked at the VA where I was the head of the PTSD program at one VA. I saw lots of patients who went through, of course, horrific experiences. But yeah, I bet that must have been really rough for you going through that. You know, it's a traumatic time in your life and you're vulnerable, right? You're working hard. You're trying to achieve a lot. Yeah, be a, my mother passed away. Oh, geez. Mm-hmm. How, how, let me ask you this. Yeah, sure. How long was your dissertation? Oh, geez. Good grief. About 300 pages. Yeah. Really? Mine was about 214. Uh-huh. And she died 10 pages into it. Oh, no. And good so grief. I had, wow. I mean, I, this uh, uh, people who've been listening, they, they know my story. Yeah. But this is when my blood pressure went up. I mean, uh, at the highest, it was 200 on a 100. Mm-hmm. My blood sugar went up to 500. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was awful. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, so so let's talk about this. Sure. One of the things I've had to do because I was diagnosed with PTSD mm-hmm. is just, you know, remind myself it wasn't my fault. I tried, mm-hmm. but there was only so much I can do. I cannot take responsibility for how uh, whatever happened to person X over here. Right. Mm-hmm. That's so exactly, what would yeah. be? Yeah, go ahead. yeah. What would you be your advice for someone like that? Well, in terms of the PTSD that you went through, it's very important to work on, you know, forgiving yourself, working on letting go, realizing it was not your fault. You also want to forgive the other people, which is hard to do. You know, it's tough to to do that at first because there might be so much animosity we have inside, but having been attacked so viciously for no reason or for very little reason. But it is important to forgive, to move beyond it, but it doesn't mean you're going to forget. It does not mean you'll trust that person again because you probably won't. And you probably can't because they might well do it again, thinking, aha, uh-huh, here's this victim back again for another round. So you can forgive but not forget. But you have to work on letting go of it yourself. We'd, the VA, we do a lot of, a lot of different techniques were tried. I was trained many years ago by Dr. Michael Preston, a really great psychologist from uh, Phoenix, Arizona, who did hypnosis. And this is a very powerful way to treat PTSD because we take the person back to a deep level of hip- hypnotic uh, not just a, not really a trance because you're aware the whole time of what's going on. In fact, all hypnosis is truly self-hypnosis. We simply show you how to get there. So we take the person back there where they can then stand back as an external observer and visualize what they went through before in the traumatic event, like a combat veteran, for example. They can visualize a combat scene which traumatized them so profoundly. They can then see it and stand back from it and see it abstractly, which then makes them disconnect from the emotionality of it. Because otherwise, the intense emotionality segments and breaks up their thoughts, which causes dissociation in a cognitive sphere. So this way, they can then reassociate everything, relax, and then talk about it and see the whole thing as a phenomena, but dissociated or disconnected from the emotionality. And they can learn how to relax and go on through lives. But they're never going to forget, but they can release a lot of the trauma. And most of these folks, you know, don't get treatment. You know, back in World War II, for example, these guys came back from horrific four years. Can you imagine four years of combat? And they, of course, self-medicated with alcohol and didn't know what what was going on, how to deal with it, and came back to disastrous home situations, disastrous work, many of whom destroyed themselves or at least had very negative lives thereafter. With Vietnam, the world started to wake up. A lot of these guys came back horribly traumatized. They wouldn't talk about it until about 1980. 
you know, we, we got out of Vietnam finally in like, or Saigon fell in 75. And by 80, a lot of these guys were showing up in the VAs and finally started to talk about it and books were being written about it. And we could not believe what these poor guys went through. It was just unbelievable. Just as trauma is beyond comprehension. So a lot more techniques were developed from that point forward. It was renamed PTSD, has been studied more, much more intensely ever since. But it is, it's, if you take another example from modern day history, you might have seen the, this recent movie about Jeffrey Epstein. Have you seen that the film? What's the name of it? Uh, oh, geez. Uh, it's about Jeffrey Epstein. If you just go on uh, Netflix, you'll find it. Uh, he's a guy who was involved in traumatizing, uh, sexually abusing all these, like hundreds and hundreds of women, uh, children, actually, at the time, who are now adults. He finally was uh, arrested to be prosecuted and died in New York City jail. Oh, okay. That guy. Yeah, that guy. Yeah, really a sick guy. And women were talking about, they did a brilliant job talking about what they went through, their trauma, their PTSD, how they've been recovering. So that's another form of PTSD that occurs very commonly in our world. But it's, uh, again, driven by fear. It can be enhanced by fear by the media. So we need to work on really advancing our understanding of these concepts. We promote the idea of expanding consciousness for each person to work on not just overcoming the past, but developing a whole new self, a whole new healed self at a much higher level of understanding, relaxation, connecting to other people, learning how to love yourself as a spiritual being, but also love the spirit inside other, other people. They're all spiritual beings, and they treat other people with respect, kindness, always, all people, respect and kindness, always. Make that one of your priorities, because in doing that, you do a tremendous amount of good in the world. You know, someday you might hold a door for somebody, for example, a very simple act of kindness, which might change their life. Because maybe they're depressed, feeling down, even feeling suicidal. And they stop you, wait a minute, this person was just nice to me. I've seen that actually happen, believe it or not, and it can change that person's life path. So it's amazing the, the good acts we do, how much effect it can have upon other people. I'm sure you've been through a very similar journey, it sounds like. Yeah, see, when a lot of this I had to do on my own, it was trial and error, yeah. which led me to creating this podcast. Mm -hmm. But um, I kind of went in the opposite direction. Rather than being caught up in the emotion, I think I, I went to the apathetic route where mm. I just couldn't feel anything. Yes. So mm. how do you, um, what you, you're talking about disassociation, how do you help people through that without going too far? Right. When a person feels dissociated, usually like divorcing themselves emotionally from the situation, but they can also feel hopeless, depressed, and so forth. There is no hope. And so what we have to do is, is help them believe there is hope. You know, there is, we have to have faith in ourselves, faith in a higher power, faith in other people. So it really does become part of a spiritualizing process as well. So, you know, some people look at life and say, well, you know, this world is just all chaos and all evil. There's no reason to live and all this. Well, I have to disagree with that. It's really a beautiful world also, and we can make it much more beautiful. So we must instill in them hope, you know, for better ways, faith in a higher power, understanding they can overcome this. It was a very bad experience. It was not their fault. Let's release it and move on and then move into something positive like you've been doing, create a very, very positive life, do great things, help other people. Because helping other people helps us take our focus off ourselves. And also we do great good in helping lift them up, which then lifts the whole world up little by little at a time. So the key is not to get stuck there. So I feel stuck in hopelessness and alienation. They really should probably get some professional help if they need to, or at least start building more friendships, get out of the house and go out and do things. You know, this COVID-19 thing has made a lot of people depressed because they've been locked up in their homes, many of them not working. And that, of course, can cause depression, anxiety, financial fears or consequences and so forth. It's important to get out when we can, do things, exercise, do things that are positive, reach out to other people, you know, get, get things moving, keep your hands and mind busy.
one aspect. Yeah, uh, going back to my dissertation, mm-hmm. as soon as my mother passed away, one of the things that my family told told me, and, and they meant well, but they were saying, Shayla, just focus on your dissertation. Just focus on it. Just don't even think about it, which I think just did more harm than good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. You know, here, it is tough. You know, it's, uh, they meant well, I'm sure. They didn't realize you had to work through a lot of emotions first. You know, you're losing somebody very close to you. It's a profound experience. You know, it brings up lots and lots of emotions. It heightens the emotions, can make people super, super sensitive as well for quite a time afterwards. There's a loss. You've lost someone in your life very close to you. It's a very powerful emotional bond, spiritual bond, and so forth. So really, it's, we've all had people we've lost in life. It really is profoundly, profoundly devastating in many respects. But we need to bounce back and realize, well, they're back in the world of spirit. And we're going to go on. We have to go on with our lives. They want us to go on. And they do. I'm sure they do. You know. Oh, sure. So it took time to work through. But I'll bet you did a lot of positive thinking and, and other things to help you get through it. Mm-hmm. Right? And like I said, just yeah. uh, doing the podcast and then hearing the feedback, you know, getting the reviews, that it's not – People are saying, well, it's not just me. I'm glad it's not just me. Like we seem to think we're the only person in the world to feel what we feel. Exactly. Yeah, that's really true. That's because we get self-isolated. We kind of pull into our own shell and we cut off communication with other people. And so we forget that they're, every person you know in the world has inside them billions and billions and billions of dimensions of thoughts, emotions, of whatever experiences in their past. Each person is what's called in physics a tensor field or an interconnected set of variables, each one influences every other continuously, right? And all people are like that too. Like everything we do, everything you think and feel and do has consequences, not just to yourself, but to other people, you know? So if we reach out to, the key is to reach out to other people and kind of get out and make yourself, you know, be friendly. Some days you don't feel like it at all. You're feeling down. I try to remind myself, well, we're all spiritual beings. If I reach out to that person, I could probably help them in some small way today to lift them up. And so that then means you focus back on them, not yourself. You focus on them to help them, and by helping them, it also helps you and helps everybody else. So it's a really powerful way to think. So we don't focus on ourselves. We focus on them and helping them and lifting them up. Then we create, a hopefully, a world eventually where people are helping each other, not hurting each other. Because when you hurt other people, it comes back on you and harms you profoundly. So we don't want to do that. We want to send a good energy, positive thoughts and feelings and so forth, and make that a habit. It sounds like a nice, idyllic concept. It's much harder to do, as you know. It's tough to do. You know, think of road rage. <laughs> of course. <Right? laughs> yeah, yeah. What you're saying, I mean, it's simple, not yeah. easy. Right. But exactly. it's uh, something that can really free a person. Yes. It frees it's you a up. Process. It is a process. It frees you up from the past. You want to stay stuck in the past. That's why the idea of be here now, focus on the moment. The whole idea now of mindfulness goes way back. It's been called many different things throughout the centuries by different philosophers, different approaches. It goes back to 1879. Wilhelm Wundt in Leipzig, Germany, had an approach which looked at thought processes and so forth. There's a book that came out in the 60s and 70s called Be Here Now by uh, Richard Alpert, who became named Ram Dass. It's really the same concepts. You want to focus on the moment. Don't stay stuck in the past or stay stuck in the future, but you want to plan for the future by creative, positive thinking, by visualizing what you want to make happen and putting your time, energy, work into that. And it's also how we stay occupied. You know, if I see a lot of folks, I'm in Florida, a lot of folks come out here and retire, and I, they just drift off into, you know, alcoholism and just uh, really gambling, all kinds of self-destructive behaviors. I tell them, look, go out and get busy, you know, do some volunteer work, get a part-time job, do something 
you know, get busy, stay pro- productively engaged in your life. Don't just withdraw because that, that, that creates boredom, right? Oh, yeah. And purposeless. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. so yeah. we talk about the subconscious and you, you say it's an energy field. Yes. Um, and, and so and I don't want to wrap up with this. People who want to say rewire subconscious because they, you know, this is for people who recognize that the subconscious does influence how we act, how we think. Mm-hmm. What are some myths that keep people from moving forward? So when I mean myths about the subconscious and what it is and what it isn't. Probably the fear of it, the lack of understanding, a lot of different theories put forth. You know, if you think about when Freud came along, Freud made it much more a popularized concept. We're talking back to you know the teens, the twenties, and the thirties of the last century. So we're talking about a hundred years ago or so, and became much more popularized in film. A lot of films were made by Hitchcock and others, about the subconscious mind, and much has been made out in terms of horror films, that type of thing. So very often misinterpretations are there. Where I would distinguish between the subconscious mind, which means overlearned behavior or things that occur deeply within your mind, which you've learned and overlearned from the past, versus a much higher mind. Uh, I think there's really a divine presence inside each one of us, a seed spark of divine consciousness inside all of us. Your real key in life is to focus on that and try to open that up to work on that through meditation, through yoga, by doing good works, by walking the higher path, bringing that force into your life, which then does much good in the world. So we shift off of the perhaps the darkness of the submerged information, the subconscious, and focus more on the higher mind. Because when the higher mind connects to the ego or the conscious mind, it opens up a conduit of energy, which is virtually infinite. So you're opening up to this vast source, like this vast computer system, but beyond that, which can download to you incredible ideas, insights, and creativity. So what I used to think of as tapping the subconscious mind for ideas, you're actually tapping more of a superconscious mind, not the superconscious Freud was talking about, which is a conscience, but really like a much higher mind, which feeds us information all the time. The thing that holds people back probably is fears and anxieties. For example, a lot of folks who come see a therapist, you know, they think there's still an enigma attached, you know, oh, that means you're crazy. No, not at all. Everybody I see is simply a person working on bettering themselves, overcoming some issues, and helps them a lot. It's really a normal process to turn somebody for help who can help you, right? And mm-hmm. so it's a very positive thing. So the subconscious mind is kind of an enigma from the past. We need to not worry about that. You might think about uh, the Titanic or the Titanic in an iceberg. You know, 3% of the iceberg is above above the ocean. 97% or so is below the ocean. That's all been likened to the subconscious. You know, there's all this stuff lurking beneath. But we need to fear that. It's just subroutines and overly learned behavior. We can actually get in touch with that by, again, self-hypnosis, relaxation, meditation. Many of those ideas will pop into your conscious mind if you open a way for it. It's often blocked off by fears and anxieties and other defenses. You see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just thinking about someone who said that she hated meditating and things like self-hypnosis. Are there any alternative ways other than? Sure. Uh, Deep concentration will produce the same effects. Like when I was first studying mathematics and physics when I was in high school, I would go into, I didn't realize at the time, but I'd go into a very deeply concentrative state, looking at various formulas and just trying to figure out what they were talking about. And I would shift into a very profound state, really, of understanding because your, your mind shifts gears through intense concentration, which is really what hypnosis does. You concentrate the, the conscious mind and opens up access to the higher mind. Now, Newton would do this as well. Isaac Newton was well known to sit outside uh, in, in nature and just pick up a blade of grass and stare at it for hours at a time studying that blade of grass. 
in intense concentration, which is how he came up with the vast formulas he did in mathematics, you know, uh, back when he did. Just amazing advances in science, which came from intense concentration. Nikolai Tesla would do the same thing. He would intensely concentrate upon whatever he's working on until he had profound insights about it. He said he could build a motor in his mind, like an electric engine, and watch it run for months in his mind's eye and observe the wear and tear upon different parts of the motor to figure out what had to be improved upon before he built the actual motor. He said he could see things so clearly, it's more clear than the actual physical phenomena. Pretty amazing. So deep concentration does the same thing. You know, if somebody doesn't want to meditate or like, they can also do things like exercise. Exercise also is very relaxing. It builds beta endorphins and Kaplan, substance P, and so forth. Produce more of that idyllic state of mind. Makes you feel good all the time. Positive thinking is absolutely essential, I think. That I even call it super positive thinking. We try to see the positive in all things. You develop an attitude of gratitude for all things. You try to see the goodness in all people. You understand the goodness is there whether they can see it or not. You try to do always good work. You think super positive helps you overcome the vast majority of conditions of life, but you have to be aware of it, be mindful of it. And once the negative stuff pops up, say, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going down there. But focus back on the positive because the mind is very, very powerful. And one single thought can act like a virus to affect the rest of your mind, to contaminate the rest of your mind. One negative thought can start the whole avalanche, right? Then we get stuck like you were referring to before in some negative space. So this, this all this takes practice and, and uh, basically every day you work at it little by little. You learn these skills and abilities. And again, we have the various books, which I hope will help some folks. We have the film, The Endless Question, on Amazon Prime. The other books are on Amazon, which uh, are all designed to help different aspects of the process, like the book on creativity, Eight Days of Creative Power, to help folks develop their creative abilities and tap into their subconscious. The Inner Manager is about – it's a parable, really, but it's a short course in developing the mind itself, which precedes, precede, of course, the quantum field psych. And quantum field psych gives the actual theory in math and physics. And I love you, God, is a book of aphorisms about how to dwell upon those positive divine thoughts every day. So each book might help some people. Probably not each book will help every person who might be interested. But there's also lots of other books out there, other works. A lot of folks around the world now are involved in this area of trying to awaken who we really are in our true potential, our vast potential. And each person has inside them an enormous capability and creative power and ability, which they probably have never even begun to imagine. But we must start working towards that to bring that forth. We don't want to stay stuck in those toxic thoughts. And something else to think about is that your thoughts can also be very addictive, not just substances mm -hmm. or behaviors, but your thoughts and emotions can addict you to certain states of consciousness, which keep us really enslaved to those worlds they, they engender. You see what I mean? Yes, we need to break free of that and release all that. It takes work. It, it takes pro It's a process. We have to work at it every day. But uh, we do make progress on it. It makes you feel infinitely better. That's you know? very powerful. Yeah. Okay. Right. So you talked about your books. Uh -huh. Where else can people find you? Okay. Well, they can also go on Facebook. We have uh, a Facebook page for every book I mentioned. For my name, Dr. Ron Dalrymple, we have a Facebook page. Also, we have a Facebook page for the film, The Endless Question. There's also a Facebook page for The Endless Question Connection, which is kind of a connection page. They can reach out, join that page for conversations and so forth, connect with other people interested in this field. There's also a page for The Inner Manager. There's a page for I Love You, God. There's a page for Eight Days of Creative Power. So they can get us through that, and we have uh, some staff working with us. As this thing grows, it's hard for me to respond to everyone, but we have a lot of folks working with us to help us help that happen. So you do want to bring in folks and get them interested, hopefully, and get people working towards more positive, a more positive world, which we need, you know. Yeah. Okay. Well, 
Okay, so what I'd like to do is uh, give you the final word. I mean, you've dropped some <laughs> golden nuggets throughout the, this entire interview. So I'll give you the final word. Okay, well, I would say that all of us have within us enormous potential and creativity that I believe there's a divine contact each one of us has you know, to a much higher source. If we develop that and open that up, we can really transform the world. We do not get stuck into the separative type thinking from other people. You know, people are enemies and so forth. You realize we're all connected to each other into a higher power. We're all spiritual beings. And if we work towards those concepts, we can really help change the world profoundly, as many people are helping us do today, including yourself, of course. <laughs>